Well, if you go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, we're going to start where James left off in the reading. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 17 was our lesson on Wednesday. And as you look at the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, you see that you have Paul's prologue in the first two verses. And then in verse 3, he said, blessed be the God. He starts out with praises and he continues those praises for what he has done all the way through the end of verse 14. Caleb, great job singing. Would you flip the light switch that says to turn on during the lesson time and then these people will not be in the, the dark over there. Sorry about that. All right, so you have the prologue and then you have Paul's praises and then it transitions to Paul's prayer. And his prayers are prayers of thanksgiving. Verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. So he gives a, a reason. He says, I heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. You truly have repented and believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And although you live in a wicked city, you are faithful to Jesus. And because I've heard that report, remember it's been either three or all the way up to seven years since Paul has even seen these people. But as he's in a prison, he gets a report that Ephesus is going strong. The church is doing well. And because he hears of their faith, he wants to offer up a praise of thanksgiving. But he also hears of the love you have for all the saints. The two greatest commandments, love God and love people. And this church is faithful to Christ and is loving Christ's people. So Paul, verse 16, does not cease giving thanks for you. Well, how does he do that? How does he give thanks for them making mention of you in my prayers. You see, Paul loves these people because these people love Jesus and they love Jesus' word. So as he's in this prison, he is offering up prayers constantly on their behalf. And what is he praying though? You get a little bit of a, a glimpse into it in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I want you to more fully know God's plan that he's already revealed to you. I want you to remember and realize God's goodness and his power and his might and how he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit and how he will never let go of you. You think of the, the child who's just learning to swim and you have the dad in the water holding out his hand saying, jump, I've got you. And depending on the type of dad, the kid will or will, no, no, the kid, the dad would never let them drown, right? You're like, well, you don't know my dad. The child will jump if they trust their father, right? Well, God is good and powerful and mighty and gracious. And so we trust him during the trials and the difficulties of life. Remember that Paul warned the elders at Ephesus years ago that savage wolves would attack this church. And this church is being attacked from without. There is a few things creeping up from within. 
but they can give thanks to God because God is good and they can rely on him. Well, when we get to verse 18, all right, we have Paul's prayer, but we specifically, and this is the title of our lesson, right? We see Paul's specific prayer for the Ephesians. We already know he's giving thanks and he's doing it in his prayer life to God Almighty who listens gladly. But he is specifically praying something for them. And we see that in verses 18 through 23. Follow along with me. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. So that you will know what are the riches of his glory. And so that you will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. All of these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. I would like for you to take this prayer. And I would like for you to use this as a foundation for your prayer life. And I'll talk a little bit more about it later. Either you can take this exact same prayer and you can pick a friend. You can pick our youth group. You can pick our church. You can pick all Christians in the world. And you could pray these exact same things, this exact same prayer, and offer it up to the Lord. All right? There is a, a book called The Valley of Vision that's a copy of Puritan prayers. And a lot of believers really enjoy it. And they use it in their prayer life. Sometimes they repeat the prayer and they offer it up to the Lord. But sometimes they just use it as, a, as kind of a guidebook to get some ideas. And when it comes to praying, I think we would all say we want to do it more and we want to do it better. And we end up praying the same things the same way, okay? But there are already awesome written prayers inspired by the Holy Spirit within the scriptures that we can just take and we can use on our own. And so I would encourage you to understand the truths of this prayer, but also to utilize this in your prayer life. I just do have two main outline points. The first would be in verses 18 and 19, what Paul prayed for them to have. What Paul prayed for them to have. And you already know Paul, right? He's an apostle. He loves Jesus. So he's not going to pray for them that their cat would be healed and they would have a shiny new pony and that they would never have to have homework again or whatever it might be. All right? He's going to get to rich, deep, spiritual things that will help them in everyday life. To look at what he prayed for, I, I want to start with the purpose of this prayer. The purpose of this prayer. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's giving us his purpose statement right here. 
I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. And I know what you're thinking. Eyes don't have, or hearts don't have eyes, right? It's kind of a weird statement. Is he talking about their physical beating heart? Well, what we're talking about here is inner awareness. Your heart is symbolic for inner awareness. And he wants your inner awareness. He wants the church at Ephesus, those believers, their inner awareness to have eyes to see. To not be foggy or cloudy or whatever it might be. To be alert and to be aware. The eyes of your heart would be your inner awareness. And the prayer is that they would be enlightened. The word enlightened means to make known. And it's specifically in reference to the inner life or transcendent matters. You know those people that kind of walk through life a little oblivious to anything, right? That's not what Paul wants for them. He wants for their eyes to be enlightened, to be awake, to be alert. We see this word enlightened in Revelation 22. In the end times, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, it says there's no longer any night. And they will have, uh, not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will enlighten them, will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. So this picture of the new heavens and the new earth, there, there's no sun there. You don't need a flashlight or something like that. God is the light. In the same way, Paul is praying that you, the eyes of your heart will not be in darkness, but will be filled with light so that they can see what's happening around them. There's a couple of places I want you to flip. Go to Luke 11. Go to Luke 11. Let's actually start in verse 29. It says, As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand. So that those who enter may see the light. So let's pause for a moment. What he's saying here, look, you're asking for a sign. You're not getting a sign yet the sign of Jonah. Which Jonah, three days, three nights. Christ, three days, three, you know, risen again, right? You don't really want a sign. You want an excuse. You need to open up your eyes and you need to see what's happening. The queen of Sheba, she sought this out. The men of Nineveh saw Jonah and responded, all right? You love the darkness. You are dark. So the things that Jesus is telling them, they don't want to hear. They don't want to believe. They can't see it. And he says this in verse 34. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full 
of light, but when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Why did people, when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords walked this earth, cast out demons, walked on water, calmed the waves, healed the sick, and rose the dead, why did they not listen to the words that he spoke and repent and believe? They loved the darkness. They loved their sin. And because the eye was dark, they could not see and they could not per perceive. But he goes on to write, the, verse 34, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. So we as Christians take this, okay? Those who did believe in Jesus are the ones the Holy Spirit worked in their heart, called them and drew them and illumined Christ to them and, and God saved them. And now Christian, Paul is praying for those at Ephesus that they would live in a continual state of enlightenment. But we have to consider ourselves, are there things we do that cloud our awareness, that cloud our awareness. The more you read the Bible, the more you're aware of the things of God, right? The less you read the Bible, the less aware you are. So the Bible is here, I'm over here, awareness isn't happening. I need to come to the scriptures. Uh, you might feel this when you don't go to church for a while. You kind of feel out of the loop. All right, you need the, the preaching of the word. You need that conviction that's going on. Or if you're going to watch gross things, you're going to go down that, that YouTube rabbit trail and watch just junk and junk and junk. Are your eyes enlightened and are you aware? No, versus if you're listening to something uh, on, on your phone and it's honoring Christ and glorifying the Lord, you're thinking of Christ, you're thinking of the Lord. Well, if you're thinking of the, the latest gross hip-hop, whatever it is, where's your mind at, right? So there are things that we do that cloud our judgment. There are things we do that close our ears. And so Paul is praying for them that the eyes of their heart would not be focused on the things of the world, but would be fixated on Christ. And that their eye would be clear and their heart would be focused on Christ. The Lord. I want you to go to John 1. Verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify about the light. So that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were uh, his own did not receive him. But as many received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The act of salvation is a gift from God. Christ shines upon everyone, but only those that God chooses are truly enlightened and come to a saving faith. But once we've come to that saving faith, we need to keep going back to Jesus. 
We need to keep going back to Jesus. And as the book of Hebrews says, we need to fix our eyes upon him. I want you to go back to the book of Ephesians. You see this word used in Ephesians 3. It says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Paul's job was to shine a light on God's plan of salvation. All right, he outlines the eternal plan of God in salvation throughout the book of Ephesians. And he wants these Ephesians to open up their heart, to open up their minds, and to receive the teaching that's going on, and to live accordingly. So that is what we call the process. Here is the product, or the purpose. That's his purpose. That's what he wants to happen from this prayer. Uh, think of it this way. You have a friend who's making a really, really bad decision. You want to pray for them. How are you going to get them to stop making that bad decision? God, I ask for my friend that you would open up the eyes of their heart so that they can see the consequences of their decision. And so that they can see the wisdom that comes from your word and they would act accordingly. Okay? So it's similar to this. Paul loves this church. He knows that there are issues that are going outside of this church. And he says, I pray that their eyes would be open to what you're doing, God, and who you are and what you have done for them. So the product of this prayer, what, what is it going to produce? So that you will know. So there's going to be knowledge about three things. Open up their hearts so that they will know, first of all, what is the hope of his calling? What is the hope of his calling? And, and you notice that when I read this earlier, I kind of kept adding in the, so you will know, all right? Because there are three things that go with this, so that you will know. What is the hope of his calling? And all of this, okay? All of this, it's his, his calling. It's not your calling, it's him who calls you. When we look at the word hope, it's different than how we use hope. Like, for instance, all of us Cowboy fans, we hope that Cooper Rush gets a first down this week. But we're not that hopeful, are we? We hope it happens. It's probably, it's probably not. We hope that Dak could throw it to a wide open receiver, but he couldn't. All right? So our hopes aren't very high. We're kind of, we're kind of depressed, but at least we didn't lose to Geno Smith. Okay? So at least we've got something going for us there. Okay? The Greek word for hope, right, it's different. It is the looking forward to something with some reason for confidence expecting fulfillment. I hope that the Cowboys win today. I'm not expecting the Cowboys to win today, all right? Do they play today? They played them out. Okay, they definitely wouldn't win today if they played on Monday night. Here, it's the expectation Knowing that God is good and that God is in control, viewing back of what he has done, knowing what he will do, I expect in this hope. The other word is calling. Calling is an invitation 
to experience special privilege and or responsibility. You, Christian, were not simply saved to escape eternal damnation. That is awesome that you won't be thrown into the lake of fire. You weren't just saved to be in heaven forever, which is also awesome. You were saved with a calling, with a purpose, with a job. And that calling is to glorify God and to spread his message. The calling is to edify believers and to confront unbelievers. So he wants this church to open up the eyes of their heart so that they will know that they have a calling and there's an expectation that goes with this calling. How does this fit in with the rest of what we had learned? We've already talked about how because of what God has done, all right, in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, you see the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Spirit. How the Father chose you, how the Son died for you to redeem you, and how the Holy Spirit has sealed you. And now with that knowledge, I am a soldier in the Lord's army ready to do what he has commissioned me to do. He's commissioned me to do. I shared this at uh, the FCA at Medlin, kind of walking through this. I'll, I'll compare it to my, my fifth grade year. All right, my fifth grade year was one of the toughest years of my life. And I had a, uh, you know, obviously some things were going on with me, sense of justice, headstrong, those types of things. I know, shocker. And I had a teacher that I didn't get along with. And it came to a head and they ended up moving me to a new teacher. And that new teacher gave me a blank slate and she loved me and she cared for me. And when I was out of line, she confronted me in a gracious and firm way. And she is my favorite teacher. She, it was awesome, okay? The next year, that teacher was being accused of something. And they needed character witnesses. And so the school board asked me if I would speak on her behalf. What do you think I did? Nah, I'm kind of busy. I mean, I got my sixth grade stuff to do. I got to blow in the Nintendo cartridge to try to get it to work. Playing a little duck hunt. Oh, of course. I was like, hey, what? For her? <laughs> I'd do anything for her, right? But look, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 remind you that you were a sinner and that you would never choose God on your own, but he chose you. And he redeemed you, and he washed you, and he loved you, and he sealed you. So now what are you going to do? What are you going to do now? Even this lesson today, I am praying that the eyes of your heart will be open to what is the hope of his calling for you. And so Paul wants this church not to lose sight, because when things are difficult, we can. We can. Why pray this specifically for the Ephesians? Well, Romans 15.3, same word for hope. Or sorry, 15.13. Now may the God of hope fill you. What is the result of hope? With all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
hope, expectation, firm confidence in God, in his plan, in his purpose, brings joy and it brings peace and it helps you to abound more in hope. You need you some of that? I need me some of that. 1 Corinthians 9.10 Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to hope or sorry, ought to plow in hope the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. Us Christians, we are the plowmen. All right, we're the ones that are, that are pulling the weeds. We're the ones that are watering. We're the ones that are doing the work. And God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish through that work. So we hope in him. We need to know what is the hope of his calling. Do you sometimes, Christian, feel defeated? Is what I'm doing even making a difference? I'm praying for this person and nothing's happened. I'm encouraging this person and nothing's happened. Guys, stay the course and do what God has called you to. Understand that he will work. He will work. The second thing, so that you will know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I know it's a mouthful. The riches of his inheritance. When we become Christians, we are adopted into God's family. We once were his enemy, now we are his children. And we get the full-blown benefits of the king, just like a, a prince or a princess was or something like that. We, we get the benefits of that relationship and the things that he has promised to us. They are described as riches of the glory. Glory is worth. Glory is value. So the inheritance that is his to, be to, to give to us, okay, there is, it is worth, it is valuable, and it is rich. And it's our, or his inheritance in the saints that he has in us. We remember this from Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a, review to, uh, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Why pray this for the Ephesians? Why pray this? Well, John MacArthur tells a story, and it's from a man, Warren Wearsby. Wearsby tells a story of a man named William Randolph Hearst. And he once uh, read of an extremely valuable piece of art, which he decided he must add to his extensive collection. He instructed his agent uh, to scour the galleries of the world to find the masterpiece he was determined to have at any price. After many months of painstaking search, the agent reported that the piece had already belonged to Mr. Hurst and had been stored in one of his warehouses for many years. So the guy reads something. Oh, gotta have it. Find it for me. And they go back and they go, dude, you already have it. And it's just in mothballs in your warehouse. <gasps> he had something awesome and he didn't even realize it, okay? You have an inheritance, you have a calling. But sometimes we what? We don't, even, we don't even realize it. 
We, we look at our house and we look at our friends' houses and we compare them and, and we look at the car that the other people drive and we look at the car that, that we drive and, and, and we look at the, the clothes that other people get to, to wear and uh, we look at maybe how athletic they are or, or how much better looking they are or whatever it might be and then, we, and then we go on social media and we look at everything that's been like doctored and filtered and faked and uh, we, we look at those things and we start to go, And we get sad and we get depressed and it steals our joy. Guys, you have an inheritance in God. We're going to walk on the streets of gold. We're going to live with him forever. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. And we already have this promise to us. But when we lose sight of that promise, we get sad, we get depressed, we get discouraged. One day there'll be no war. One day there'll be no heartache. One day there'll be no pain. One day there'll be no sorrow. But if we can't look at that and fixate on that, then we start looking around. We start looking around and we start getting sad and we start thinking about what we want and what we don't have. So he wants them to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Oh, but God is bigger than the boogeyman. It's not supposed to come back. Swoosh. Change. Oh, I did the build out and then I did the build in. Forgiveth me. Okay. Fixed it. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. So that you will know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So that you will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. It's the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. The third product of this prayer is the greatness of his power. The greatness of his power. And I, I love that word surpassing. It means to attain a degree that extraordinarily exceeds a point on a scale of extent. It's not just to, I had my birthday yesterday. Thanks for the birthday wishes and the card and stuff like that. It's not just to get that piece of cake that, eh, big I guess. It's to get that piece of cake. All right, the one that your tummy's going to hurt if you eat it, but man, it was worth it, wasn't it? His power is great. No, his power is great. It is massive. And it's toward you specifically. If you are in Christ, his power is for you. It is toward you. And it exceeds all expectations. And it goes beyond. Why pray this for the Ephesians? And you know already because you saw it, right? Sometimes we need to be reminded that God is bigger than the boogeyman. Now, I, I would say most of the time I would advise you not to get your theology from VeggieTales. But the heart of this is if you're scared, you remember that God is in control, that God is all-powerful. Now, I noticed in VeggieTales... They didn't go into the fact, well, what if God willed for the boogeyman to get you? All right, no, we're not going to go into God's sovereignty. They just point to, don't be scared. God is more powerful. 
all right? So whatever situation you are in, whatever difficulty you're in, God already knows. God orchestrated the events of your life to you, for you to be there. And he is powerful to grant you peace, to grant you comfort, to grant you wisdom in everything you need to persevere and to have trial, uh, to have peace, and to glorify Christ, he's already given to you. Christian, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, indwells you and convicts you and guides you and empowers you at all points and at all times. How has God displayed his power? How has he displayed his power? He's done it through creation. He does it by simply sustaining us. He, through Moses, he, he parted the Red Sea. Jesus walked on water. He raised people from the dead. There was a time that, that God held the sun still in the sky. I mean, guys, he flooded the entire world. And then he put it all back together at the end and he promised he would never do it again. That is the God that you serve. Sometimes when you read the Old Testament and you see how God did amazing things through Israel and there was power and there was Samson and there was this and woo! We forget that that's the same God. And that God, he lives inside of us. That display of power means that we can trust him. That we can trust him and that we can rely on him and that we can continue to serve him for his glory. Let's look for a moment about how God provided these things for them. How God provided these things for them. He goes on to write, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So let's take the these things. The these things that he's praying for, the hope of his calling, all right, the, the riches of his inheritance. We just looked at the strength of his power, right? These things are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So he can give us these things. He has given us these things because of the strength of his might. Every once in a while, dads get to display the strength of their might. And it's not when a robber comes in or something like that. It's when, it's when your wife hands you the jar of jelly or the whatever it is these days and says, can you open this? And I think most of the time, the, the wives don't even try. They just want us to feel better about ourselves. All right? And so they hand it over and then there's that, that, that tense moment. Right, gentlemen? Can you open this? Yeah, or open this. And you're like, Heavenly Father, my kids are watching. Please grant me the strength and the might. And then it opens and you're like, oh, woo, I'm so strong. God is all powerful. God is almighty. And these things he has done, given us with the working of the strength of his might. But he has done it through Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of God's power. 
through Jesus Christ. He's given us these three things. How did he give us those three things? Because of the strength of his might. How did he work out the strength of his might? Well, it was Jesus that accomplished it. It says, when he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead. When he seated him at his right hand. When he put all things in subjection to his feet. When he gave him his head over all things to the church. Guys, I, I know for sake of time, I'm having to kind of summarize some of this. But this, this is rich stuff. Look in your own Bibles. Follow along with me. Look at verse 20. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Raised him from, that's not normal, people. Dead people stay dead. Unless the Almighty deems otherwise. The power that goes on right there to raise him from the dead. And he not only raised him from the dead, he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The carpenter's son, whom the Pharisees and the Romans crucified, who was dead in a tomb, was risen again and exalted to the right hand of the Father. Because Jesus just wasn't man, he also was God. Fully God, fully man. That's power right there. That's, a, that's authority right there. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Ooh, that's rich. It's rich. God did that through his strength, through his might, through his power. And not only that, he didn't just raise Jesus from the dead. He didn't just make him his right hand. He put all things, you, me, kingdoms, time, space, everything under his feet. And he gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. And Ephesians will keep building on that. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's saying, look guys, you already have this stuff. And you have Jesus who's the head. It's not Paul, he's off in a prison. Christ is the head of your church and he loves your church and he is powerful to work in you and through you. But God has specifically provided these three things, the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance and the greatness of his power with the strength of his might which worked out through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key. Fully God, fully man, perfect life, death on a cross, rose again, seated in power, and is currently ruling over the church. Currently ruling over the church. Let's bring this all home. Let's recap this. Think about it in our own, what we need to do. This is Paul's specific prayer for the Ephesians. The hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, the greatness of his power. If Christ already accomplished these things for them to have, 
Why is Paul praying for them to have them again? It's a trick question. Is that what he's praying? Is he praying for them to have these? What is he praying? Some of you shook your head no. He's praying for them to know that they have these. That the eyes of their heart may be enlightened. They already have these. Christian, you already have these. You already have these. God just wants you to realize that you have it. Do you ever lose sight of these things? I do. Do you ever doubt God when he's powerful and good to you? I do. Do you ever follow sinful lusts? Instead of relying on the greatness of his power and being content in the riches of his inheritance? Guilty. Christians, we, we lose sight of these things, right? I love what John MacArthur writes. He says, in essence, Paul prayed that the Ephesians would be spared from frantically searching for what was already theirs. But rather would see that the great God who is their God is the source of all they need and has it ready for them if they are open to receive it. It's beautiful. I want you guys to walk away from this lesson. And I would like for you to use Paul's prayer as a model for your own prayers. Just one day this week, please. One day this week. Open up your Bible and pray through this. Pray through this, all right? Pray this for yourself. Maybe take another day and pray this for a friend. Guys, this is how true change happens. Pray it. God, open up. God, you are so good to me. But right now, right now I feel like the world is against me. I feel like I can't do anything right. I pray that you would open up the eyes of my heart so that I may see the hope of the calling that you have given to me. I may understand the riches of my inheritance. And I may rely on the greatness of your power. Do that for me. Humbly realize and reap the benefits of being in him. See, Christian, you have these things. Unbeliever, I'm sorry, you don't. You don't. But you can if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christian, we gotta wake up. We gotta open up our eyes. We're in a spiritual battle here. And God's already given us everything that we need. We just need to realize it and rely on it. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. We thank you for your son Jesus who died for us. We thank you for all of the blessings that you have given to us. But Lord, we can be so short-sighted. We can be so selfish. We can so, be so blinded by the things of this world, by our own sin. Open up our eyes so that we may see wonderful things from your word. So that we may remember and know that you are good and that you are powerful. And that you desire to accomplish much through us. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.